Hey everybody, this episode of Word Balloon is brought to you by a new sponsor, Geek Fuel, a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box each month that has at least $50 worth of value for just $15 plus shipping and handling. Every box has an exclusive t-shirt, a full downloadable game, and five to seven other great geek culture items. Start your subscription today and get a free bonus item worth another $10 in your first box by heading to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Great show for you today. I got Charles Soule, and man, does he have a lot to talk about. Of course, we're going to be talking about uh, some creator-owned projects, including uh, Curse Words coming from Image with uh, Charles and our buddy Ryan Brown of God Hates Astronauts. We'll also talk about Letter 44, his Oni Press book that... uh, We're getting close to the end of it, and we'll talk about that. And uh, also his extensive work for Marvel, from Star Wars Poe Dameron, to also uh, his work on the Inhumans, uh, Inhumans vs. X-Men, IVX, coming up after the Death of X uh, miniseries wraps up, and of course uh, his work on Daredevil. It's a great chance for me to check up, it's a great chance for me to catch up on uh, a bunch of uh, inhuman uh, plot lines that I wasn't aware of. And uh, it's, a, it's a great overview of what's going on in the world of Charles Soule. Plus, he has a new novel in the works as well. Man, I'm telling you, the, uh, the bag is full. But uh, Charles delivers with great stories, and it's a pleasure to have him back on Word Balloon today. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support through your subscription to Word Balloon through Patreon. Uh, if you want to help the show out, you can go to wordballoon.com uh, and uh, click on the Patreon ad. It will tell you all you need to know if you want to help the show out. Word Balloon is free. It will always be free. But if you want to help the cause, uh, you can go to wordballoon.com and uh, check out the Patreon page right there. Without further ado, let us uh, begin our conversation with Charles Soule. It's a pleasure to have him back on Word Balloon. Man, it has been so long, and I and I am embarrassed that it's been this long because I like the guy, I like his writing, and I'm very happy to welcome Charles Soule back to Word Balloon, and it's a pleasure, dude. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be back, and it really has been too long. We see yeah. each other at shows all the time, and uh, but uh, but we made it happen tonight, which is great. Absolutely, we did talk last month uh, a little bit because we were on the Marvel uh, telepress conference for uh, Death of X. Yep, I remember. It was that one of those roundtable things, but yep. uh, this, this, this will be better than that. I'm sure this we can talk about all kinds of stuff. That. Well, and also, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've – I mean, I've got your contact stuff here. If you've been on Word Balloon like more than floor interviews, I can't remember. No. I mean, this the, the only other time I was on was I did a kind of a long talk, an hour, hour and a half or something, when I had, was just getting into Big Two work. I was It's when I was writing Swamp Thing, uh, which was my first sort of Marvel DC work at all. Yeah. And so – yeah, I mean, we were talking about 27 back then, Strange Attractors, kind of books that are pretty far in my rear view at this point. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, and Letter 44 was just getting started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. That's right. All right, yeah, so we, that... we, we got a laundry list to get through here, man. But uh, yeah. first of all, well, because you are, like, writing, like, eight books right now currently or whatever. Yeah, almost. yeah. Um, and, do you, like, I know you're a lawyer. Like, do you still do law full-time? Um, I don't do it full-time. One of the things that's really changed between – the last time we spoke and now is that I've been able to, uh, I mean, well, the, the writing work has, has, has really ramped up. Uh, there's, there's Great. a lot of it. Um, yeah, it's fantastic, but it's also given me a sense of security that I'm going to continue to be doing it. 
when when we when we spoke last time, like for all I knew, I was going to be kicked off Swamp Thing in three issues or five or whatever. <laughs> and, and and so you know you don't want to fold your fold uh, your law practice uh, at that point. But now, I mean, I've written some pretty high profile books. I'm I'm a contract guy at Marvel. You know, I've it's I've got other stuff in the iron, other irons in the fire. Like so so. I'm 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 sort of rolling the dice on on making sure that I can continue continue to have a writing career forever, um, and so I've I still practice, but I've really scaled it way back. Like I you know I, I shut my office, um, I, I let my people go, which was kind of sad, wow. uh, and uh, so I still I still take cases, but I'm very very selective about it, and I, I you know I would say the majority of my time now is spent writing, unless it's a case that I really want to do or it's for you know a longtime client or a friend I, I generally just turn business away at this point which is a very weird feeling what was the nature of your practice uh, I did immigration work primarily so wow. it was immigration yeah yeah a lot of immigration um, and so Dude, we need you now more than ever it sounds like I know, uh, with the, with the I know. pending administration. I know it's funny. I've been getting a lot of calls um, since last week uh, about people who want to, you know, want to know what what the future holds, yeah. uh, and I I, I don't know, um, but uh, I guess we'll all find out together, for better or for worse. I hear you, man. Well, you know, and it's and it's weird too because we live in cities where our mayors have stepped up and said, yeah, listen, don't worry, we're you know yeah. we're, still, we're still a safe zone, and yep. uh, that's kind of interesting. Well, anyway, um, and I'm sure that I, I have a feeling that politics will probably like. Come into play in some in some cases, depending on what we're talking about, you know, while we're while we're talking here. But um, sure. Also, you did you just make a big uh, trip? Are you back from China? Yep, I got back from China. Today is uh, Tuesday, I guess Tuesday, yes. and uh, I was in China all last week. I got back late, late set, like early Sunday morning, super early Sunday morning. Crazy. Um, yeah, so I was I was overseas during all the election stuff, which was strange. Um, and you know, there's a lot going on sort of professionally, like I had to be on a million calls and that's a 13 hour time difference. So I was like, I'd be up at two in the morning on these calls. It was, it was a great trip. I loved it, but, uh, I'm happy to be home for sure. I understand. Okay. You can't talk about why you were there. Uh, I, I mean, I was there I'd for a, uh, no, I was there for a, there was a convention in Shanghai, um, Shanghai comic-con and they, oh, I didn't they had realize me that. out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. What I mean, was that like? It was, it was very cool. I mean, they're. It's it's a it's a China is very very enthusiastic about you know mo- the movie versions of all these characters. Yes. Uh, so so they all know exactly who Captain America is. They know who Wolverine is. They know all of that stuff. They know who Daredevil is because of the Netflix show. But as far as the comic book iterations, they're not as familiar because it's really hard to get comics there. Like there is as far as I could tell, there's exactly one comic shop in Beijing. It's a very cool little store called Polyphony. It's beautifully designed, but it seemed like they almost were like flying to another country buying books and flying them back to stock them in their store like it they couldn't really you can't there's no like diamond account or anything like that um and then there are two shops in hong kong which is sort of it's not even mainland china it's like kind of a different administrative system and so you people would people were telling me they were flying up to to hong kong every week or every other weeks to get their books uh so it's they can get comiXology sort of um but it's the point I'm getting at is that it's hard for people in China to read comics the way that we read comics here. Sure. But that's there were still some very enthusiastic fans, which was just amazing. Um, so it was it was cool. It was not a gigantic show, but it was a very cool show, uh, and I'm super glad that I was there um, and and you know had the opportunity to go to China, which is a place that I love. I've I, I've been there a number of times. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's good. Um, but the 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 thing that was while well, the phone calls were for was that I was. Uh, 
uh, I had my first novel. Uh, yes, I was going to ask. Go yeah. on, please. Congratulations. That's fantastic, yeah. man. Um, yeah, that was sort of the all of all of the talks with the you know my agent, the editors, and and all of the other stuff was kind of happening while I was there. So crazy. Uh, I ha- yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, so I was talking to people in L.A., people in New York, and I was in I was in Shanghai and Beijing. So lots of time differences, lots of which sounds very glamorous and jet city and all that stuff, but really what it meant was that I was just, I was always awake and always trying to be like on top of these phone calls and I was just exhausted constantly. But it was for, for the best possible reason. And, uh, and so, yeah, so this, this book is the Oracle year. It's going to come out um, from HarperCollins. Uh, it's about a, a guy who can, like he gets basically 108 little glimpses of the future, like these discrete little events and then it's it's what he decides to do with them, um, and and how that changes himself and the world. So it's uh, it's very cool. I'm I've I've wanted to get a novel out for a long time, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, and and I hope every all of my comic reader fans will read my novel too. I guess we'll Hell see. Hell yeah, dude. Well, when it's seriously when you know when it's ready to be publicized and stuff, of course you're welcome back, and we'll talk more about it. This is great, man. Me, you're you're joining the pantheon, man. I like it. <laughs> You're there with the Ruckers uh, and the, the Meltzers. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's outstanding. That's fantastic. Good for you, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, It feels really good, I have to say. Absolutely, man. Huge. Very, very cool. Wow. All right, well, let's, let's get down to the comics. Um, I'm, I'm talking to Brownie, uh, your, your collaborator on Curse Words, uh, tomorrow. And, awesome. And depending on uh, the length of our conversations, they could be together. But, okay. Um, Curse Words comes out in January from Image. And uh, what can you what can you tell us? You you guys were kind enough to send me the first issue, but I'll let you dictate uh, the parameters of our of our talk. <laughs> sure. Well, I, honestly, um, this is the first new creator owned book I've done since Letter Forty Four started. Letter Forty Four started yeah. in like it, it. The first issue came out in early twenty thirteen, I think. Yes. Uh, this is coming out early twenty seventeen, so it's four years of of not having a new creator owned project out. So so I really am putting. All of that, sort of all of the skills that I've learned from doing work for high work for so long, um, all of my, all of the weird ideas that I can't really do in, in say, Daredevil or whatever, they're all going into curse words. And the, the premise of the book is, it's, it's about a wizard, a random wizard pops up one day in Central Park in New York, starts casting spells for money. Everybody's very excited because we've never had a wizard before, so this is kind of amazing. He becomes very rich, very famous. The problem is that he is actually an evil wizard in a good wizard disguise. Uh, he has a very dark past, and and as the as the book continues, that past starts to catch up with him. And so it's it's sort of is he going to be a good guy? Is he going to be a bad guy? Lots of uh, moral questions and things, but it's also really really funny, which is what you'd expect with Ryan Brown involved. So <laughs> yeah, uh, talking yeah, animals. So uh, yeah, you know. the, all of the all of the Ryan Brown trademarks are there. That's cool. Um, that's cool. And, yeah. and obviously that, um, you know, clearly that's why you, you chose Brownie to, as a collaborator because of, you know, things like God Hates Astronauts and, and Burn Furnace and, uh, you know, I mean, Blast Furnace, excuse me. Blast Furnace. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it is that, but it's also like he and I really like each other, which is a, which I'm is a really, surprised. Go ahead. A, a really nice thing in, uh, in when you're working with somebody as close as you need to do on a creator on book. And we've, we kind of have vaguely similar backgrounds. We both have Michigan backgrounds, and, and we've just known each other for a long time in the comics world, and I've always loved his books, uh, and I guess he's liked mine well enough to commit to doing something with me. Um, but he, like, early on in our friendship, we would, we would like, just be out of the bar, out of the dinner room, and just sure. start riffing on some concept or other, like, um, 
kind of like, you know, like, like, would you rather like just, just stupid things. And we would just start telling a story back and forth and it was always dumb, but it was super fun. And, and that is sort of where curse words is on a much higher level that takes a lot longer to put together and we're, we're being much more precise about, but it's really just the two of us throwing ideas back and forth, having a really good time. And I think when you read it, I mean, I don't know, you tell me you read it, but I, I think it feels like two guys having a blast, um, really trying to perform at the top of their, of their games. So, uh, I, I hope that's how how the readers see it. It, it did read that way, and also knowing you know, I I know Ryan a little bit better than I know you, but it's great because it is it's it's atypical of your other stuff, and it's because Ryan is co-writing the book with you. And you know, after New York, not to the point where I think a, a, a Charles Soule fan wouldn't enjoy it, but I'm just saying that no, I think both of your influences are clearly there. But it was uh, we talked a little, uh, Brownie and I talked a little bit in New York, and then we ended up. Have, being on the same flight home and even uh, splitting the cab from O'Hare back to the city and everything. And we really talked a lot about it. And I've had I've had Ryan on a few times before. He's just a really smart guy and, as you say, one of the nicest and friendliest guys in, in the business. And I, I always love hanging with him. And, and I can understand your wanting to work with him because, yeah, he is that kind of guy. And also um, he's one of the smartest, I think, creator-owned guys in the biz. And I love – being a fly on the wall at conventions and watching him kind of like talk to other creators about their stuff and telling them, well, this is what you need to know about whether it's crowdfunding or working with a publisher like image or whatever. I mean, he, he really, I think has all these kind of moves down from a, oh. from a business standpoint. And yeah. I really think, I mean, beyond the fact that he's a really great artist and uh, I like that he's, you know, stepping up even more, and co-writing with you and everything, or at the very least co-plotting with you. Yeah, it's it's very much a collaborative effort. We uh, we go into it with the, you know, the, it, it's 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 our book. It's not it's not one or the other. We're we're very much a team, um, and it's it's great. It's just like there are guys that I would probably, you know, just there are people who maybe you wouldn't necessarily, you know, eat great artists who maybe aren't aren't as great uh, sort of word storytellers writers is the word i guess i'm looking for jeez look at me i'm a good word storyteller god you know what i mean like like i do it's the end of the day man we're our brains are rushed right now it's yeah but but it's like each each guy has their set of responsibilities they execute them really well and the book works really well together but this this feels more like it, it is really a synthesis we're both we're both writing stuff uh you know we're both creating the story at the same time and there's never any real barrier between you know if i see something in the art uh, or, or, you know, the doors open and it's, and vice versa. Like it's very much a, a two way street. So it's just fun. I, the main thing is I just really, you know, it's, it's a little nerve wracking to come back in and create our own after this long out. And I know, I know the book is great. Uh, image is really behind it, which is fantastic. Um, I, I have, uh, you know, relationships with shops, you know, I've done everything I can to try and make sure that it, that okay. it's cool and people okay. like it, but you never know. I mean, you never know how it's going to be received. And so I just, my fingers are crossed firmly right now that, that people dig it. Well, and I guess I can understand that from a personal standpoint. We all have our own self-doubts. But, I mean, like you said, man, for the last four years, you've really established yourself at at both companies writing really good books and, and big books. And we're going to get into, you know, your mainstream stuff in a minute. But, um, you know, yeah. So I what what do you think at, right now, because you're really at the start of it and stuff, but um, as you said, you feel like, you know, when you started Letter 44 four years ago, three years ago, um, almost four years ago. What, mm-hmm. like, what little things have you learned from the big two 
that you wanted to put into I mean, can you quantify some of the stuff you've learned that, that has changed your way that, that you've been writing? Um, well, I, I'd say one thing for sure is I'm a very I, – I can see into the future more easily as far as arc plotting and planning and sure. and knowing and like feeling the beats. I mean I, I was adding up the pages I've had published kind of since the rush, since everything kind of really, really picked up around um, – which was, you know, yeah, it was more like 2013 is when okay. everything, because by the end of that year, I was on, I was on three books, um, two books for DC, a book for Marvel. Like it all kind of really, really started to happen in 2013, 2014. But since that, that time, was, I was that like She-Hulk time and everything too? Yeah. She-Hulk she started in early 2014. Okay. Go on. So anyway, so it, it, uh, I guess it was really all, and you know, it doesn't matter. The, yeah, the point but... is that. I, I've had I've had like five thousand plus pages of comics published since that since Jesus. Swamp Thing, and so you yeah it's it was kind of I couldn't I couldn't really believe it either. But then you when you do it that much when it's like all you do and almost all you think about you really get a sense of exactly the way to pace an issue exactly the way to pace an arc. Um, and I think that skill set is something that really just come like you're you know do I need this scene do I need to describe this beat or can I do it in a panel? Can I do it uh, I just you. in a line of dialogue? Those kind of shortcuts are the sort of things that, that I've been able to get. Um, and kind of knowing knowing what an artist is capable of on the page, you know, what a, what a comics page can do and what it can't do. Okay. Um, you know, reaching, giving the artist, not, not overloading an issue with so much that the artist can't really do it in a reasonable way. So if you have a couple crowd scenes, making sure that you have some really light stuff, like a two-panel page early on, things like that, just sort of balance, balance stuff. So um, it's just, you know, getting good at making comics, getting good at, at, at all the different pieces of it in a way that, that I, I mean, I don't think I was bad at it necessarily in, in 2012, but it's just a whole different world now, the skills, the skill set you have. I got you. Well, and it seems, you know, Ryan... Um... Ryan is an off-the-wall writer when it comes to Blast Furnace. And, you know, Blast Furnace itself was really kind of an exercise. It, and it, it is an unconventional book. God Hates Astronauts was a very, un, you know, is a very unconventional book when Ryan gets back to it and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, it like, there's a randomness, obviously, with with a lead character being a wizard. But mm -hmm. as you say, you know, you, you've got kind of story arcs and, and, and ideas kind of tightly plotted. Is that... I mean, you know, would you say that Ryan is kind of coming with the off the wall stuff, or I mean, and again, yeah, I've got off the wall ideas, I'm sure too. I do, I do, but it's I, I would say the way that we, the way that we do it is, you know, I give Ryan a lot of room to put stuff in that, especially sort of scene setting and background elements and the way the expressions on people's faces sure. and like, you know, he he's able to spin scenes that in way in directions that I wouldn't necessarily see, and then when I see it, I I can adjust the dialogue to fit what he's done. So that I know how good he is at that sort of thing. Like there's a scene in issue two that's basically, you know, I think I gave him one sentence. Like this is, I want sort of, we're going into this fantasy world. I just want a massive, awesome landscape. Do whatever you want. And then I know that it's like, I don't have to worry about it. I know it's going to be great. And it, and it was great. There's a, there's a big drunk frog. There's a lot of great things in that page. Um, but, but that's Ryan. Like he can, he can really, really just, it's, you know, we've talked about a lot, like we don't have to worry about each other as collaborators. There's never any sense of, oh, he's going to do something stupid or I'm going to do something like we we can both hold up our ends in a really kind of 
relaxing way. You know, it's it's just really it's been really great. You know, I gotta um, tell you, man. Again, from that cab ride, that that's pretty much how he described the the collaboration. He said it's it's easy. You both know where you're coming from, and it's a great you know exchange of ideas and sharing the work and everything. So that's great to hear, man. That's that's wonderful, and that's obviously makes it easier for you guys to just get the shit done. So uh, yeah, you know, yep, very cool. Now, so uh, five issue arcs. How do you how do you see this kind of? Yeah, yeah. Well, the first if, the first arc is five. Um, yeah, we kind of had it set for probably about twenty five issues or so. Okay, uh, depending on on the response, and so probably like five five trades, something along those lines. We'll okay. do, you know. The idea is to do a hardcover here and there, collecting some bigger stuff and, and, and so on. But if we're having a really, really good time with it, and if, if it does well the way we hope it does, then it's sort of where the story takes us. We don't necessarily see any reason to, to cut it too short uh, sure. or make it too long. So, But we have, a, we have the whole thing more or less plotted out. There's a lot of room for us to both kind of do our thing and, and make it, if, if ideas come to us, all that, we'll do it. But uh, it's mostly um, just ha- just it's really fun. It's really really fun, and I think that that fun comes across in in the book. And you know, choosing choosing magic as a main subject lets us do we're completely free in terms of story stuff. We can do whatever we want, and and that was kind of a conscious choice from the start to let us both shine as far as imagination and bringing all these weird things into it. And um, but yet it's still very grounded. I mean, you still know exactly who this guy is. It's not like random stuff all over the place. You know you. Like there's a character with a strong central arc and he, and you understand his conflicts and what he's trying to do and who he was to a degree and, and it's all sort of there. There's like a real story, but it's also anything can happen at any time, which is a fun way to do a book. Is this a chance, too, to maybe uh, talk more about today's society, more so than, you know, you you might be able to in some of the other the other books that you've worked on? I mean, you know, it there's I, I don't want to give away plot points or anything like that, but a pop star kind of meets the wizard and has a very specific want in that opening yes. scene. Yeah. So, so is this a chance to kind of, you know, poke fun at some of, you know, society's tropes right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's set in the present day and the, the way that the world relaxed, it's, it's a, it's a book that in some ways is about celebrity because, you know, wizard, wizard is the name of the wizard. And yes. so wizard becomes very famous very quickly and he, he likes it and he doesn't want to give it up. And so he makes choices based on retaining fame and, and adoration. And, um, even, even when they're probably not the best decisions to make. And, um, you know, there's a sense of, of reinvention in America that is, I think a very real thing that you can, particularly once you start to get famous, you you can just have a completely new persona and, and America forgives that and embraces it to a degree to, to the extent that the new persona becomes more real than anything you were before uh, even even when those things are sort of exposed, they don't. It doesn't. It doesn't take away from who you ever you've decided to be in the new phase. And that's that's a big theme in this book. Um, kind of your past and how you get past it. Uh, you know all of that stuff. It's very. It, it you know like I said before, there's a lot going on in the book. You know on the surface, it's a fun weird wizard book with the talking koala and you know magic battles and stuff. But but it's a story about real people too. So uh, yeah, it's it's really coming together well. I like the play on words for the title, curse words. But I have to be honest, much like uh, I hate Fairyland and it's you know more famous uh, dirty title and stuff like that, I was disappointed with the lack of curse words that I saw in there. <laughs> I was expecting <laughs> yeah. a few more f bombs in the book. I don't know. Yeah, there's a you know here and there, but, but uh, <laughs> we'll put we'll put them in when it makes sense. But uh, you know, it's always uh, it's always a balance. If too if you work too blue, then it loses its shock value, right? Well, you want to save that. Them. 
Yep. All right. Very funny. Very cool. No, excellent, man. No, great start, and uh, looks great. I mean, that's the thing. I think Riot's got a really uh, uh, pleasant style as far as his art, and, um, you know, hey, man, you're the wordsmith. You you know, you're, you're clearly pleasing the masses with uh, <laughs> the, 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 you know, almost dozen books that you're currently working on, so <laughs> I, I understand. Well, let's uh, yeah. let's let's pivot and uh, and move into uh, the mainstream for a second. Well, actually, I, I, while while we're in the creator-owned realm, let's talk Letter Forty Four because sure, does you know does the current change in the administration make you want to? I mean, where where are you in the story? I mean, first of all, for people who don't know, explain Letter Forty Four from Oni Press. Uh, yep. Great premise. I, I you know uh, excellent excellent idea. You know so the. The, the story of Letter 44 is, is a U.S. president gets elected and on, his, on his very first day, um, you know, the day after inauguration when he goes into the Oval Office. He reads the secret letter from the previous president that, that has all kinds of tips and tricks in it, the stuff, the knowledge he's going to need to know as he goes into the job. And that letter says, hey, man, good luck. Being president's a huge pain in the ass. It's a very hard job, and it's going to be especially hard for you because we found aliens in the asteroid belt seven years ago and didn't tell anybody. So surprise. Get ready. Yeah, coming. that's yeah, that's your problem now. Good luck. And so um, the idea is that there's been a lot of preparation done before that point by the previous president, but now the new guy has to figure out what the hell he's going to do. If he's going to stay along the path the previous guy set, he's going to do something different. And at the same time, one of the things that the previous president did was he sent up a manned mission to make contact mm-hmm. with these aliens up there because all we know is they're building something. We don't know what it is, why they're here, any of that. So the story has two tracks, and one is the president down on Earth trying to figure this out. Uh, and then the other is um, about the, the astronauts in space. They've been in space for like three years. They're kind of all psychologically weird at this point. They're all kind of half crazy. And, and it's, it's, it's them in a first contact situation. So I tell sure. people it's like, you know, West Wing meets Alien or House of Cards in space. Um, you know, it was, it was fun to, uh, I brought some, of, some copies of it with me to China and um, it was fun to try and uh, explain this in Chinese to people. Um, and I, I speak some Chinese, but I don't, I don't have enough to like, I couldn't give the pitch I just gave you to, to a Chinese person, so my translator sure, was doing most of it. Um, but uh, I, I did a little, and so I learned the, the Chinese word for president, which is uh, Zongtong, which I think is a pretty great word. Uh, Megawalt Zongtong. 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 Yeah. Yeah, okay. Zongtong, wow. yeah. Wow. So Megawalt Zongtong is, is American president. So wow. anyway. Well, you um, know, it, that, that transition of power – at certain historical points have been very interesting. I didn't mean to interrupt you because I mean, no, no. I mean, forget it. I mean, certainly right now we're all very cognizant of the sit down that, that Trump and Obama just had. Uh, but you think about, you know, uh, Roosevelt dying and Truman taking office and it's the president's dead, by the way. And they open up the book. There's a little something we got on the, on the drawing board called project Manhattan. And the yep. whole time Harry Truman had no idea that, you know, we're, we're developing the atomic bomb and we're thinking about dropping it on Japan. So, so there's that, and you know, I mean, you can I, I, again. I mean, and then you get the 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 real. It, it really was great, I think, to see the enormity that Trump was given clearly because you saw him after that meeting, and then yeah. and, you know, and again, we're we're talking two nights after Trump made his first interview on 60 Minutes, and honestly, I saw a change. I mean, there was a la- there was a slight lack of arrogance about the enormity of the job that he just received. And it's just like it's bigger than even he thought, and I and I kind of liked that because he should take it seriously. And so that's it is those kinds of little things that you know I, I'm did were those the things that inspired this? You know, obviously not Trump, but you know those kind of big moments where there really is yep. this big 
change. Um, God, uh, Carter and Reagan was a big transition. Yep. And, and I've seen yep. Jimmy Carter talk about that first meeting with Ronald Reagan. And it was the same thing where Ronald Reagan came in kind of just like, all right, we're going to have a chat. And Carter's got like several legal pads of, you got to know this, you got to know this. And he's like, well, you know, he goes, you know, there's a lot of stuff here. And he goes, well, I'll be fine. And then about, you know, 10 minutes into the thing, he's like, uh, can I have a copy of those notes? And it's like, yeah, no problem, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I studying presidents and presidential history has always been a thing for me. I've always thought it was fascinating, particularly like the personalities that want to be president are, you know, it's 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 a very interesting, almost a pathology in my mind. Like somebody who would actually want that job. And so uh, I do think the like it's one thing to want it and to sort of be like, oh, I'd be great at it. I'm, I'm smart. I'm committed, all these things. And then you get in there and you're like, oh, my God, like I don't get to for the next four years minimum. The weight of the world is literally on my shoulders. Yeah. And there's a reason presidents age eight years for every four when they're in office. So, yes. I mean, I I don't know. It just it always seemed the the I think it hits hard even when there aren't alien spacecraft involved. And <laughs> and and writing a book about it um, has been it's been really rewarding. I mean, you know the the series has uh, the fourth collection. The fourth volume is going to be out in January, um, right around the inauguration, which is crazy. Um, and it's and it's been amazing to see it embraced by people like people who like this series love it. Uh, and it was it was an official um, official selection at Angle M this past January. Congratulations. Um, That's great, man. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, it, it won the, the Grand Prix at another French festival named Palavas. Uh, so it's, it's very big in France and Spain, which is awesome. Um, cool. And and it does well here, too. But the the it's the first long form, really long form thing that I've attempted and with the artist Alberto Jimenez Albuquerque, we've done it'll be 35 issues when all said and done, which these days is is really a long run on a series. Um, you know, the the last issue that came out was 28. I've written through 31. I'm going to write 32 this week, actually, uh, and then it's going to go to 35 and it's finished. And that was always the plan. Okay. Um, so it's I mean that's the story we're telling, and I so I, I have the whole thing broken. I know everything that happens. I could sit here and tell you the end, but. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, but I'm, I'm kind of holding off on, on writing it though, because it's very, it's bittersweet to come to the end of this thing. And, uh, you know, after living with it for, it'll be four years and all said and done and saying goodbye to it will be very interesting and strange. Well, I'll um, confess, I, I'm not sure. Has there been a, a transition of power in the book? Are you, have you dealt with only one president? Uh, only one. Okay. Only when, one. Does, does the, does the prospect of, as we're seeing the, the, the possible change, does it make you think, oh, it would be interesting to kind of hand this off to the next president as well? I mean, obviously, then it would become letter 45, I suppose. Yeah, it would be. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, those are those are questions that I'm going to I'm you know, I can't end the series without talking about that. So it'll, it's it's not going to happen necessarily in the way you might expect. But but that's something that I'm going to like I have to address. Okay. Uh, so. Okay. So, yeah, it, it's you know, it's kind of a it's a big, big, huge ending that I think that readers of the series will be satisfied with surprised by but that's kind of what what the series has always been like it's it's full of twists and turns but it's it always kind of leaves you hopefully wanting you know satisfied but wanting more and i don't know how it's i've never like i think about some of the big endings the series like you know preacher or why the last man or sandman uh, all of which are very very formative series for me uh in my reading history like development um and I think about the way they ended their their big long runs, and and there were, you know, some some I think were more effective than others, but they they had this 
usually they tend to have this sort of beautiful finality to them. Like there's this beautiful poetic quality to what they choose to do. And, and I think that Letter 44 in its way will hopefully, you know, I don't, I'm not saying Letter 44 is as good as Preacher or Sam or whatever, but I'm going to try to write an ending that will, that will feel, will make me feel at least, at least partially as good as I felt when I read those other endings. So we'll see. Excellent. It's hard. No, I can appreciate that. That's great, man. Very, very cool. And again, that's Ramoni Press, Letter 44. So, uh, and I'm sure yep. people are, you know, sort of aware of it, but they should definitely like catch up and uh, look forward to this uh, wrap up coming up very soon. So, very interesting. Now, let's uh, again. Now we'll now we'll move on to the mainstream and then and talk okay. about uh, all your work in Marvel. Um, so now, catch me up on the Inhumans. I'm aware of you know certainly what happened in in uh, Secret War or Wars. I always forget if it, I guess it was Secret Wars. Uh, the Terrigen Mists have uh, kind of, you know, uh, enveloped Earth, and uh, we've got new Inhumans uh, suddenly appearing, and um, as a consequence, too, the Terrigen Mists were, were uh, poisonous to mutants, so mutants have had to uh, go off-world, and correct me if any, anything I just said is, is not correct as far as the broad strokes go. Yeah, that's right. The, um, you know, the, the idea is that there's a, there's a series going right now called Death of X, uh, which yes. is set... It's set a little bit in the past, about eight months ago, right when the mutants discovered that Terrigen, this Terrigen cloud traveling around the world is toxic to them. And this and is right at the end of Secret Wars, I'm assuming. Right at the end of Secret Wars. So it's, so it's you know, about eight months ago in Marvel time. And so you had Cyclops, you had Emma Frost, you had uh, a bunch of other mutants kind of figuring out what the hell they're going to do. And Cyclops being the kind of reactionary, you know, freedom fighter mutant that he's been recently – decides that he's going to take action and just destroy these clouds. And so so the the thing that we know is that Cyclops has not been seen since those events uh, in, in the regular Marvel Universe. So this is the first time we're getting a chance to see what the hell happened and where he went and why he hasn't been around. Um, is, is he presumed dead? Or yeah, he... yeah, he is. He's presumed dead. And so it's about, I mean, three issues have come out so far. Issue four is out. I don't think it's this week. I think it's next week or very soon. Okay. Um, and then, and then you'll get to find out where Cyclops is and what happened to him and all that stuff. So it's very, uh, it's I, I don't know why I keep getting associated with dead X Men, but apparently that is my X Men brand. <laughs> That's uh, true. You killed Wolverine. Yeah, Wolverine, and, and and now Cyclops, and so and 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 Jamie Madrox uh, dies in the first issue of Death of X. So there's like a bunch of, of dead X Men. Like I'm, wow. I'm leaving them in my wake like a trail. Yeah, it's bad, but uh, but the, the truth is, I'm co-writing with Jeff Lemire. The artist is Aaron Cooter with uh, Javier Garon helping, uh, and it's it's amazing stuff. Like they're doing everything looks beautiful. I love it, uh, and it's it's neat to write. This sort of goes back to what we we're just talking about with Letter Forty Four. Like it's really great to write endings. I love being able to write endings because it's you can you can encapsulate the life of a character in their death in a way or their ending in a way. And so for me, it's. Uh, you know, it's great, and I. It's it's funny because I've I've talked about my philosophy about killing superheroes before, um, and this was this was just before Death of X One came out, in which Madrox dies. Who's a, who's a very beloved character. Madrox sure. is kind of, you know, he's not he's not Xavier or Phoenix or Wolverine. He's not like he's not at that level, but he's he's just below it, I would think. And I he's sort agree. of and yeah. Peter David certainly had a nice, healthy run, kind of. Oh my god, know, yeah. Expanding yep. and exploring his character and everything. Sure. Yep, and in, in this series, he dies in sort of a, a relatively quick way. Like, and it's it's very, I think it's very impactful because you don't see it coming, and 
you know, when he when he goes, it's in part because he's, you know, through his death, we could show the death of, of many, many mutants because you only need to essentially kill one guy and you're killing a bunch. So there are a lot of reasons why we chose him. Um, but but there's there were I got a bunch of I heard a lot on Twitter and social media from from X-Men fans who really liked him. And I totally I get it. I mean, I, I sort of feel the same way. But, um, you know, the stories are the stories. And it's it's sort of that's the story we chose to tell here. So I'll take all the lumps people want to throw at me for that. But it, I think it really, it made the stakes of the story very high from the very start. Um, but, but yeah, so, so anyway, so that's, that's death of X, uh, which is happening now. Uh, it's finishing soon, but then the idea is that after, after whatever happens, happens, then the X-Men and the Inhumans go into this period of, of truce or detente. And, and that lasts for, you know, the full eight months that we've seen in, in the storytelling in the Marvel universe so far, uh, and then, and then something happens to break it, and then sure. they go they they go to sort of all out war, and that's this event IVX, which is starting in December, I believe, December or January, and uh, again co written with Jeff Lemire. Uh, that one's being drawn by Linneal Yu. It's beautiful. I mean, Linneal is amazing. You bet. Um, yeah, I did uh, I did a zero issue with Kenneth Rockefeller on the art, which is great. But it's really it's. You know, there's a zillion billion characters because both the X-Men and the Inhumans have huge casts. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so it's hard keeping all of that straight and giving everybody, like, you know, how is Monet different from Warpath? How is uh, Flint different from Medusa? Like, I mean, I, I know all that stuff because I've done my homework and I've studied and, and I like I can write everybody. But you have to – there's a lot to, lot to juggle, a lot to give everybody their moments and um, – it's sort of peak superhero event storytelling as far as from a writing perspective. But, uh, but it's also great. Like giving, having the opportunity to do it is, is amazing. This is, uh, my first real big Marvel, um, sort of crossover event kind of situation. So it's, uh, it's fun. It's really, it's really a good time. Will it purely be when it's IVX, um, in humans and X-Men and, and no other interference from the other, uh, heroes or villains? From the universe. Right. So, so like uh, Avengers and all that, they, yeah. they're not, yeah, they're they not, um, yeah, they're not involved. This, this happens, it takes place over a relatively short period of time. Um, not, not a long, not a long time. And that I, you know, my guess is that, uh, it's just sort of all happens very quickly and, and the Avengers are busy, uh, fighting, I don't know, Mole Man or whoever they're fighting. Okay. So, uh, so this is, uh, this is Inhumans and X-Men, but believe me, if we had to add more characters to this thing, I don't. I would lose my mind. So sure. I am I am perfectly happy that it's just the million X Men and the million Inhumans and they're they're having a big fight. When when you get to individual characters, it is easy to see the differences. But as a big group, group versus group, is there a, is there still a stripe of the Inhumans that differs them from the mutants? I mean, you know, uh, it seemed like on television and maybe in you know, I think a lot of people assume because of the current relationship with Marvel and Fox and Fox realizing, Hey, we got the X-Men. I'm not letting, we're not letting go. <laughs> this thing's making right. money for us. You know, that, that suddenly the Inhumans have almost taken the place of, of the mutants in terms of their place in the Marvel universe. And so how do you keep the stripes different? I mean, as, as a writer for me, it's very easy. Like they don't feel alike at all. Like the Inhumans are, are a nation state. They have, 
a government. They have a ruler. They have, right. uh, you know, relations with other countries. There's like there, it's just a it's a very different feel. It's a geopolitical feel, at least as I'm as I've yes, been writing that. As I see in, in Daredevil, even because yeah, I mean they've they've basically created their their inhuman uh, nation state right in the middle yeah, of Manhattan. It's like well. it's like Vatican it's like Vatican City. You know, yes, they're just, and there's they're just, and it's under under good cooperation between. Uh, the United States and and the yep. human race and everything. Go on. Absolutely, it's all it's all it's all there. So to me, like the mutants have had that uh, sort of you know Genosha things along those lines, but they've always been kind of this ragtag guerrilla force, and I think that's when they're at their best. Uh, honestly, um, like you, it's it, it would be weird to see you know Magneto going to sit down at the White House, but it, it's sure. not unusual to think of Medusa doing that, and I think that that is a they they're not of the establishment at all because they're their own thing. But the fact that they are a, a nation with twenty thousand years of history on the earth and and you know all of this advanced technology and all of these things about them to me as a writer they feel completely different. Just because there's a lot of people with superpowers. I mean the Avengers have a lot of people with superpowers too. Sure. It's just you know I think they're very different. Now I could see oh, yeah. from a fan perspective why you'd be like well. Okay, so this group has a lot of young people getting superpowers and experiencing them for the first time, and this other group does too. They're kind of the same. But from a publishing perspective, I mean, the X-Men, they just announced all the stuff that's happening after IVX, like all of these titles. You know, it's – it's. I, I I totally understand, and I also know that comics fans want to, want to find stuff like this. It's like it's fun and exciting to sort of spitball things like this, but it's just – you know, I mean, the X-Men are strong. The Inhumans are strong. There's lots of books for both. You can pick whatever flavor you want, follow the characters you want to follow. I mean, you know. I hear you, man. That's it. That's it. No, no. And also, no, I'm, and, I, and I think, like you just said, from a geopolitical standpoint, you're right. Inhumans, you, can, you make the Vatican City uh, concept. I suppose you could say the X-Men are almost like Palestinians. Yeah. You know, you know they're, they're just, they're, yeah. They're stateless. And, and, yeah. yeah, stateless, exactly, and kind of. Wishing that you know they could have uh, their own kind of land and stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I get it, and, I, and I'm glad you put it that way. I think that's great. Okay, for someone who has been sitting on the sidelines, where's Black Bolt? <laughs> Black Bolt right now. Uh, well, he he was the king of the Inhumans for a long yes, time. Yes. He was the sort of the silent stoic king. His power okay. is yes. if if he speaks a word, then this incredibly gigantic blast of cosmic power comes out <laughs> and annihilates whatever's in front of him. Yep. So. Most inhuman stories tend to end with Black Bolt saying one word, like stop, or, you know, whatever it is. And then that, that puts everything to bed. So, so I wanted to write it like when I came on board, one of my big sort of mandates for myself was to, to not tell that story every time. And so early on in my, I've been writing inhumans for like three years now. And, in, and early on in the run, um, Medusa, Medusa's the queen, or right. she, she doesn't know where Black Bolt is. He's vanished. And so she finds him, um, sends a detective out to find him and finds him. He's been, it doesn't matter. She finds him and, and he comes back and he's going to be king again. And then she's like, you know what? I've been running this country by myself for, for months. I've been doing all of these things. When you've been off doing whatever, this, no. No, this isn't yours anymore. And so they, they basically separate. I mean, they're husband and wife, and they, wow. they're, they're, they're estranged. So Black Bolt is off. Um, he opened a, a super cool nightclub underneath Grand Central called The Quiet Room. That's hilarious. Um, Get out he's of here. Been, yeah, so That's he's been fantastic. running that. That's hilarious. Yeah. The Quiet it's, Room. Uh, yeah, it's like uh, it, it, it's kind of like, um, you know, Rick's Cafe and uh, in sure. Casablanca, like sort oh, of this so meeting. 
Go on. Yes, go on. It's like a meeting place where anybody from any any affiliation can go and hang out. And it's neutral ground because the idea is that if you start trouble, their black belt will end it. And so, you know, good guys, bad guys, you know, anybody can go to the quiet room and just sort of do their thing uh, without any real fear of, of superhero or supervillain fights breaking out. That's and fantastic. so it's been this. Yeah, it's been a really fun location that, again, has played into the whole geopolitical role of the Inhumans. Um, is there a quiet and it's room just, magazine where Black Bolt is kind of, you know, they should? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it, it looks kind of like uh, it's all Art Deco in 1920s. It looks like, uh, you know, Club Club Obi-Wan from Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom. Sure, it sure. It looks like that. Hilarious. Uh, there's, yeah, there's like acts, you know, women in evening gowns singing on the stage all the time. And, and it's, yeah, it's softly. really been fun. Yes, <laughs> very, very, very softly. softly. Yeah, um, it's just Dude, been it's hilarious. just been a great scene. Yeah, I have to admit, again from the outside, I'm like, all right, I'm sure Black Bolt is dead, and that's why Medusa's running things right now and everything. That's fantastic. That's great, man. Shame yeah. on me for not knowing that. I love that <laughs> idea. I really want. I honestly, who do I? I got to talk to Axel about getting a Quiet Room magazine. I I, I would want. <laughs> uh, truly, that's no. And like you said, the Casablanca thing. So where, like, are we seeing a lot of the Quiet Room? Are, are there? A yeah, lot of- yeah. It's a, it's a fairly common. Like, it comes up a lot because it's the thing is that Medusa and Black Bolt are estranged romantically, and she is the queen, and he's not the king anymore. He's given right. up his throne. But the idea that you're not going to use this brilliant strategic thinker with the the most powerful and human of all in some ways. So so he's kind of like the covert guy who will do things on the on the side to help sure. help the inhuman cause while she's kind of the public figure the public face oh wow um, wow yeah so so they still do stuff uh together kind of politically or professionally i guess you'd say um but but medusa's been dating johnny storm uh the human torch for a while so that's also an interesting relationship to play yes, with because is. johnny you know black bolt never shuts or never says a word but johnny storm never shuts up and so it's uh <laughs> well and also johnny's relationship with crystal back in the day oh yeah yeah that there's a whole uh, two issue arc where like medusa didn't tell crystal that this was happening she kind of <laughs> gave crystal this mission on the other side of the world um and she expected to break up with johnny she expected it to be a fling because every relationship with johnny's always a fling right he's yes. just he's not a stable relationship guy and, but they kind of started to fall for each other and so um you know, she's she was like, Johnny, we've got to break this off. And he's like, but we're so good together. And all these things happen. And then they get in a building falls on them. They're trapped under a building for the whole issue. It's one of those kind of issues. And um, they kind of work it out. They're starting to make out. And then who saves them from under the breaking the, the fallen building? But Crystal, of course. <laughs> so so that's how she finds out. They have this whole hullabaloo in the next issue where they get abducted by this alien who has like a battle world spaceship. And, you know, it's comics. Um, Fantastic. but, uh, Good for you. yeah, it's, it's very, it's the whole soap opera alongside the, uh, you know, the, the, the superhero bomb. stuff. So yeah, man, yeah it's great. all there. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad I have Marvel unlimited because this is when I can go back and, you know, kind of <laughs> retrace the steps. I don't know if, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's on the Marvel unlimited stuff yet. Yeah, that should be, that should be, it's uh that's, that's uncanny human stuff. So it should be there by now. Excellent. Very cool. That, dude, I'm really glad to hear that because I gotta be honest, I, much like the X-Men, it's been very occasional for me with the Inhumans. But oh, yeah. I, I absolutely would, would dive into, you know, kind of stories like that. That's fantastic. That's great. Good for you, man. See, this is, <laughs> you're giving it to the right guys. This is good. <laughs> yeah, I like it's fun. it. Excellent, man. Wow. Very interesting. So, yeah, any other, like, nooks and crannies as far as what's going on with the Inhumans? That I could... The Inhumans, I mean, it's really it's really just the big sort of swirling soup op- uh, soap opera stuff, uh, superhero soap opera. And it's it's the characters are very cool. There's a lot of new ones. Um there's a detective character I love named Frank McGee, who is who is a New York cop for That's, twenty. He was a, you know, he's twenty six years 
Um, and then, and then the Terrigen mist rolled around. He got powers, and and his, basically his eyes became like spotlights. And so he wears sunglasses all the time. He's kind of like uh, you know John McClane in Die Hard. He's very rumpled and kind of grumpy. Sure. Well, I've um, seen him in Daredevil, and we'll get to Daredevil. Oh yeah, so yes. yeah. So that guy, and so he's. Love that uh, guy. Yeah, he's cool. Uh, but, you know, his wife divorced him. The force didn't really know what to do with him. So they kind of, you know, he quit when nobody was giving him the time of day anymore. And he kind of washed up on the Inhumans. Uh, and, and so that's where he's been. And so there's like the Inhumans is great because it lets me tell stories with all these different kinds of characters. Like and so I can if I want to tell a detective story, some hard boiled noir thing, I can just use Frank McGee. So, um no, I like yeah, I like this fun. moment I saw him in Daredevil, man. That's great. And I didn't realize that. Okay, that um, I assumed his power was more photo. I mean, I realized that the, yeah, it had like uh, high beam lights, that kind of yeah. energy when he when he takes a look at something. But I also assumed it was more photographic memory kind of thing. It's well, it's both. He the the. The, again, the fun thing about writing the series is that you get to write people from the start of their powers and then see them grow and learn how to use them better. So when it started, all he could do is be like a, a flashlight, like a spotlight. He could Got sort it. of, you know, blast off the light. But then over time, he started to realize that he could use it almost like a camera flash. And so if he looks at a crime scene, he can blast out the light super fast and then and then the entire image is stored in his brain and he can kind of spin it around and look at it again just like uh, – you know, like in Blade Runner, when Harrison Ford is doing the, you know, zoom in, enhance, all that stuff. Um, uh, so it's like that. So it's a really great, it's a perfect power for a detective to have. Um, and 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 it's he's been using it that way. So he's a character, like, I I can see writing him for a long time in different ways in different places. Like, I could see a series built around him just running a detective or like a, you know, a police bureau kind of thing. So Absolutely. we'll see what happens. No, we'll I see what that, happens. That's great. And, and also, I, I just like how he's so grounded in the real world in terms of him being kind of a career cop that suddenly finds himself with these powers. I can't remember, and to be honest, again, I was more on the sidelines, but I can't remember those kinds of characters being developed during the early 2000s when there was that expansion of the mutants. And it just seemed like, you know, every day there were there were more real world, you know, mutants popping up. A lot of times they were kids. Yeah. You know, and, and, yeah. And maybe that's another good difference about the Terrigen Mist affecting people as opposed to, you know, mutants being born with it and it kind of being uh, a metaphor for adolescence and, and, you know, that kind of that kind of storytelling. So, yeah. Would you say that's the case with I, I would. Of- I mean, for me, when I when I I mean, again, I've been writing these things, for this this line for three years. And and one of the things that was interesting and exciting to me from the start was the idea that I could I didn't have to always tell these sort of teen. It doesn't always have to be a young guy. And so there there's a you know, there's Frank McGee, who's probably in his late 40s, early 50s. You've got um, there's a there's an engineer in India who who's named Grid and and his um, his power ends up being. Like his his he can manipulate electromagnetic fields, and but his his hands are replaced by uh, these sort of cones of electromagnetic energy, and that's how he's able to do things. And so it's kind of like Chamber, right? Where sort of he gets this power, but it's 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 a terrible power in terms of the way it affects him physically. And and on the first day, he's like you know he's thirty five, and so he has this career. He's like been helping his family as an engineer, and now he's lost his hands, which is the one thing you need more than anything else if you're going to be an engineer. Um, and so there's this this oh great I'm a I guess I'm a superhero now, but at the same time I've you know I've I, I don't know what my life is anymore. My whole everything I've worked so hard to have I don't have anymore. And so it's it's those are the kind of stories that I thought. Would, I can tell in the humans that are a little harder to tell in X Men, but not impossible. I mean, you can make it work sure. anyway. But um, 
but those kind of stories, that sort of storytelling, the sort of the, the way your life can change in an instant uh, at any point in your life, which is true for sure. Uh, it doesn't matter how old or young you are, um, was, was available immediately in Inhumans, and it really attracted me from the start. That's cool. As we're talking, I, I, I think the announcement was either made today or yesterday. Uh, big news about the Inhumans on the media, on the non-comic side. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Marvel Television announcing an Inhuman series that is going to debut uh, on IMAX, which, you know, it's uh, obviously they're taking a nod from, I think, some of the television shows that have created uh, theater events. I mean, certainly, you know, this weekend, uh, as we're talking, Doctor Who is going to have a... They, they had the theater event on Monday for a special episode of uh, a Dalek episode that they kind of uncovered, and it was an old Patrick Troughton thing that was... The, the video was lost, but they still have yep. the audio, so they, they built animation around it. Uh, for huh. You know, I'm saying this, obviously, for people who, uh, who aren't Doctor Who fans. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, certainly, too, and, I mean, I've experienced it over the summer, the uh, when DC Animation has a new product, they, they kind of preview it first in theaters, and then you get the DVD, <clears throat> the DVD a couple weeks later. They did that with The Killing Joke, and they did that with the Adam Westberg Ward uh, Return of the Cape Crusaders and stuff. So, yeah, now we're hearing this about uh, the Inhumans. I, I don't want you to spoil, but have you... I mean, they certainly have access to everything that is going on with the Inhumans in comics. Uh, have, have, are you able to say? Have, have they looked at any of some of the ideas that you're exploring in your comics and stuff? You know, all I know is that I believe it's going to be royal family focused, which is exciting uh, because I can't wait to see how they do Medusa, how they do uh, Black Bolt, Gorgon, some of these great characters. Um, but as far as whether or not they're using my concepts, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's funny because one of my characters, uh, one of the bad guys from my Inhumans run, Lash, uh, actually two, two of my characters have been in, two of my Inhuman characters have been in TV stuff. There was the character Lash was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. And then Inf- Inferno uh, was on the uh, Avengers cartoon show that's running. Oh, that's and so, yeah, it's pretty sweet. But the, I found that out when, like, when they showed up on the show. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get advance notice. They didn't tell me, uh, I wasn't, you know, they didn't, it just was a different group and which is fine. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. It's, I don't need sure. to be notified. They don't need to ask my permission or anything like that. No. And, and, yeah, yeah. and it's always wonderful. So at this point, I have no idea if, if any of my storylines or any of my characters are going to be involved in the show, that would be incredibly flattering. But I also know there's been some amazing inhuman storytelling over the years, even from oh, the very start, like the, the main, the original concept, the, the Jack Kirby, Stan Lee stuff was is just weird and great and super Absolutely. cool. So Absolutely. if they just if they just go with that, that's awesome. If they want to put in guys like Frank McGee or Reader or or ISO, I would be thrilled. But uh, I mean, I, honestly, I'll probably find out when you find out. Okay, um, you know, I, hopefully, I'm uh, I've, I've been bugging Loeb since uh, the end of the summer that he's due for a new talk, and certainly after the announcement uh, today or yesterday or whatever, yeah, I'm certainly like, all right, you know, even more to talk about. And, yeah. and also, it's, it's funny, as you mentioned, the Lee Kirby uh, Fantastic Four original Inhumans run, you know, Loeb is always the first guy to say that's really the greatest Lee Kirby collaboration. Everything that happened during that Fantastic Four run, including Galactus, including the Inhumans, the introduction of Black Panther, you know, all the, those first hundred issues, so much great stuff. You know, it's so many building blocks of the Marvel Universe from literally that specific run. Yep, I I agree completely. It's just amazing stuff. No doubt, no doubt. Okay, let's take a break and uh, tell you more about our new sponsor, Geek Fuel. 
As I said before, Geek Fuel, if you don't know, is a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box each month that has at least $50 worth of value for just $15 plus shipping and handling. In fact, November's box had a Batman theme to it. Every box has an exclusive t-shirt, a full downloadable game, and five to seven other great geek culture items. For example, I got a great Firefly Serenity t-shirt. I also got a very cool cutting board for my kitchen. That's great for uh, meat or vegetables, and it's shaped like a Nintendo game cartridge. And I really appreciate that because it's a practical thing, and it's also fun. So these are great uh, for Christmas gifts, either for yourself or, think of this, you can get the subscription uh, box from Geek Fuel, and you'd have not only holiday, but also upcoming birthday gifts to share with friends for months to come. I think it's a great deal. You can start your subscription today. And if you do, and go through uh, Word Balloon at uh, geekfuel.com slash wordballoon, you'll receive a free bonus item worth an additional $10 in your first box. And uh, again, to do that, you go to geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. It's a great deal, and honestly, I've been very impressed, and I'll be talking about some of the other items that I've gotten from Geek Fuel, but it's, uh, it's a great uh, service, and I think it's a great idea. Um, you can either sign up for a one month, or three months or more. And again, uh, to get all the deals and find out the best one that fits you, go to geekfuel.com slash word balloon. Excellent. Well, let's pivot to Daredevil because I like okay. the fact that uh, Daredevil is dealing with a, a criminal that is, uh, you know, uh, now is his name Vincent Van Gore or is his name? No, uh, his, his name is his name is Muse. Okay, uh, that's like, the name like, that he... I like them both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vincent Van Gogh is the name that the tabloids... You know, he's a, he's a New York serial killer, and, yes. and in New York, the uh, the tabloids tend to name... You know, they name sure. the killers or whatever. It's part absolutely, of what they do. Man. No, absolutely. Um, so he is a... Uh, he's an artist. He's an artist. I mean, that's right. He's a creator. He's a psychopathic, and, he's a psychopathic artist. Yeah, and his his... His sort of mo is that anything that he does in the service of his art is is allowable. So whether that's um, you know mutilating people, killing them, turning them into to, you know art exhibits, turning their bodies into art exhibits, it's all fine um, because it's in the service of art. And I think that it's you know this is a very obvious metaphor. It's nothing that's that's too deeply hidden. But I think a lot of creators, myself included, will do things. Um, Hopefully not to that extreme, although I think some have. You know, you look at your Ed Gein and, and uh, Ted Bundy, and, and a lot of these people have actually created art out of their victims. Um, but it's it, there is a sense of you know I'm, I can do what I need to do, uh, whether it's you know spending time away from my family or uh, you know just locking myself in a room for for hours on end, days on end to, to create whatever I need to create. All of that. Uh, is something that happens with artists. And so this is that idea taken to the extreme. Sure. Um, and, and Muse tends to spout these kind of artsy platitudes about, <laughs> you know, yep. the power of the creator and all these things, which I just thought it just, it made me laugh in a way, but it's also horrifying because these are things that people believe and they, they act based on it. Uh, and I also think, man, like I don't daredevil. If there's another, like daredevil is the perfect character to my mind to, to face a serial killer. I completely um, agree. Go on. B- because he's so daredevil himself is super dark like in he's he is just as driven and weird thankfully he channels his his obsessions into into justice and good but in a lot of ways he's not there's not a lot separating him from a from a serial killer character just like there's not that much separating say batman from the joker really it's just how they 
you know. No, no, go on. No, finish your thought. I don't mean to interrupt. Go on. Um, so it's just it's it, the idea that Daredevil is facing somebody who is just as driven as he is in his own way, um, and who has a very strong motivation that you can kind of identify with. It's horrible the way that Muse is is executing it, but you no pun intended. But you can you can sort of see where he's coming from. Like he wants an audience. He wants his work to be appreciated. He wants people to understand him. Um, but he also doesn't want to explain anything because if you explain it, then it's it's like. You know, it's too much, and I, I don't know. It's, ma- it's like a magic trick, or what? Or and also, like I, I love the conversations that you're writing with Muse and Daredevil because it is. It's like, don't tell me how to do my art. I mean, I, give me a break. I'm just doing my thing. And also, yeah. I love in a different way than Batman. It's almost like Daredevil doesn't see the darkness in himself because he is so driven to do the right thing and doesn't care how he gets to it. And has, I mean, he's aware of his psychoses. But it always does seem to me, like you said, I mean, he's staring this guy in his face, and I don't know. Maybe I haven't read the right issues where Matt does kind of say, oh, my God, I, I can see a lot of what myself and what, what this guy is doing. But it is like he doesn't really – like I said, it just seems like his moral code is, is blinding him, no pun intended, from his, right. own, from his own psychoses. No, a thousand percent. And there, there's an issue early that that's one of the central themes of, of the run. You just you nailed it. And there's an issue in issue four of, of my run. Uh, and I got to say, Ron Garney and Matt Mia, who are the, the gorgeous, artists man. in color. It oh, my God. Gorgeous. It's so I'm so lucky to have them. And, and Gordon Suzuka, who is kind of the guy who takes the uh, usually takes a couple issues to, to let Ron uh, kind of, you know, get ahead to make sure that he can stay on um, like the it's I'm so lucky like this book the feel of it is so distinct uh and and dead on for what Daredevil needs to be but it's also so uh distinct from what Mark Wade and Chris Somney and Paulo Rivera did which was incredible Completely agree. Uh, but it's uh you know the the art on Daredevil has been you know through through almost the the entire run it's always been an artist showcase um you know between Believe and and uh you know, all of the incredible people who've drawn Daredevil over the years, you know, Mazzucchelli, Frank Miller, all these people, uh, and now, uh, you know, Ron Garney and, and Gordon Suzuka. So it's it's awesome. Um, and I, I can't talk about the run on the book without talking about them. So they, they're amazing. But in issue four of the run that I'm doing now, uh, Daredevil has a kind of a, it's not really a, sort of a team up with Captain America. And at that point, Cap was he was he was aged he was like 90 years old his super serum had temporarily worn off and so he um he has a conversation with with daredevil at the end and at this point in daredevil continuity he matt has kind of matt murdoch has put his secret identity back in the bottle so nobody knows that daredevil is is murdoch um and nobody knows that daredevil is blind either and so cap is giving advice in in his sort of you know, Fatherly elder way. statesman way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he says, look, man, it, all you need to do is look in the mirror. And if you, if you can't see, you know, if you can't meet the eyes of the guy looking back at you, then you know, you're doing something wrong. But if you can look yourself in the eye, then you're in great shape. And Daredevil's listening to this. And of course, Daredevil can never see his reflection. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's, it's, it's great advice. Uh, but for Daredevil, it's, it's the worst advice because he, he can't actually do it. So it's, um, so I'm trying to, to play a lot with the idea of Daredevil's blindness, both on a physical sort of storytelling standpoint, like the things that he's not capable of doing. Um, like in that same issue, there's a bit where, where Cap, he's defusing a bomb, and Cap is like, cut the green wire. And Daredevil's like, uh, like because he, does, he can't see green, right? He has no idea what green looks like. Um, 
so it's it's you can do a lot of fun things with that. Just that Daredevil's blind, but it's and the fact that people don't know he's blind. Um, but there's also all the great thematic things you can do with it about his his blindness to his own failings and his own obsessions, uh, and and how they affect the people around him uh, and the choices that he makes uh, in pursuit of the goal. Uh, there's there's a there's a larger goal that he's trying to achieve in my run, which has not quite yet been revealed. It'll be revealed in about I don't know five or six issues, okay. and and we'll see that everything he's done from getting his secret identity back, moving back to New York, become a DA, uh, abandoning uh, Kirsten McDuffie, who is his his awesome girlfriend in Mark Wade's run. Yes. Um, all of those things were part of a larger idea that he is now pursuing to the point of obsession, and it it doesn't necessarily. Uh, and well, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not good for him, but, but, you know, he's doing it for his city. He, he feels like it's important. And, and once he's on the road, once he's given everything up, if he stops, like then he's done it for nothing. So he, he can't stop and he's got to push it until the end. And then, um, you know, I don't know. I like, I know where the whole daredevil story is going like far into the, into well into like issue 30 or so or past it. Okay. And it's, uh, I'm That's really 17. happy Am with I it. Right? Uh, 13 right now is, is the current issue. Yep, 13 just came out. So, yep. yeah, this will take it to issue 30. Uh, it, it, the plan that I have now, the plan that's been like sort of ratified and approved, and I actually had a big call with Marvel about it today, like with a bunch of writers. There's a whole big, like Daredevil is becoming kind of its own zone in Marvel. So there's, yes. yeah. Good. So there's, <laughs> so there's Electra, Electra, Bullseye, Kingpin, all these characters are becoming part of it. And so, um, it's all building to this big, huge thing that'll happen in about a year uh, that I'm really excited about. So, well, Charles, honestly, because so many great writers in the last 15 years in particular, uh, you know, have, have really, well, I guess, or maybe the last 10 or 12 years, starting with Bendis, Brubaker, Wade, uh, a lot of these guys have found different ways to crack Daredevil and give us something new to think about. And I think your run is another example of that. And also the fact that you do have this kind of long run with a very specific idea in mind. You know, this is the kind of stuff that Jason was able to do with The Punisher and with Ghost Rider. And, you know, Brian was, like I said, able to do it with, with Daredevil. Brew Baker took him in a different direction. Wade did. So, honestly, it's, it's tough. And, you know, I have to admit, uh, psych- psychologically... The costume choice to change to that more, I, I, you know, and again, it's not just, a, I don't know if that's a shadow perception or he did literally change his costume to the color scheme that it is right now. But at first, it, it gave me that 90s twinge of, oh, fuck, you know, when Daredevil's costume went gray, it really went to shit. I yeah, that's not yeah. happening. Please don't. Let, and I and I had some I had faith in you, man, because I'm like, oh, Charles is a lawyer. He knows, he knows Matt Murdock. I think it's going to be all right. And sure enough, it was. And that's why it's like, you know, it's like, man, this is great. Because, uh, again, I, I really think when, when Daredevil is good and also left on his own, and that's why I got excited when you said that it's becoming its own little zone and stuff like that. You know, so many big things were happening around uh, the great runs of, of Daredevil. And luckily, you know, editorial was like, yeah, let's let Daredevil kind of be its own thing. And I really do think that's when Daredevil is his best, is when you know, it, it. I mean, that's really when the character came into focus. I think even, you know, going back to Mackenzie and, and Miller, when, when yep. they really kind of revitalized the character and really made it the distinct hero that he is and everything and the environment. And I think, again, that's why the Netflix show works as well as it does. It's going to be interesting to see when the, uh, you know, uh, Defenders really start Defenders. to open up. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. we're, getting, we're getting, you know, kind of tastes of it in Luke Cage and 
certainly Jessica Jones, and you know we'll see what happens with Iron Fist. I'm sure we'll see a few more cameos and, and things will be pulling together. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm I, this is great, man. Honestly, and and I did really grab several of your most uh, recent issues, and it's like, oh, that's good. Okay, here we go. Daredevil's back. <laughs> it's good. You know, so that's great, man. Nice going. Thank you very much. I'm uh I'm it, the, the legacy on that book is is very intimidating, but. Uh... But I'm, I'm just trying to do it my way, and, and hopefully people respond to it and, and make the storytelling choices that I think are right. Uh, but uh, I love I love writing Daredevil. It's it's really a dream superhero comics job for me in particular. And so I'm, you know, the response has been great, and I you know I'm on it for a while to come. So unless people really start to hate it, uh, I'll get to do one of those kind of longer runs that that you were mentioning. So it's kind of an amazing an amazing thing. I feel really lucky about it. And I'm looking in the inside to see who your editor was. I was expecting brief for it, but it's Panicia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. Well, you know, Mark is another guy. Man, I, I really got to get him on because he is a guy who, again, there are certain there are certain editors that I think have really exceptional taste and kind of get it when it comes to like, no, this is the right guy for this kind of story, or here's the pitch. I mean, I'm assuming did you go? Did you pitch this to Panicia? Well, when I when I came on the book. Um... It was it was something that when I so when I first started working at Marvel and I did the run on She-Hulk, which was very well received, uh, thankfully. Absolutely. Um, you know, Axel. Even back then, Axel was like, you know what? Uh, someday Daredevil's going to open again, and you know, if, if the stars align, I think you do a great job. We'll, we'll see what happens. Cool. Um, and that that was right in the heart of Mark Wade's run. So I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not holding my breath. That's gonna, you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> and then. And then Mark Mark said he was going to step away, and I got a call from Axel fairly soon after that. He's like, you know, do you want this job? And I said, of course I want this job. I think I can I can do something special on it. And so I kind of had a long runway, which was pleasant. I, I really got to think it through, and and uh, I, I would say I had six to eight months to kind of think about what I was going to do on the book. Um, and so as far as the the plan. Uh, it started in in one place, uh, and then it and then as I was as I would say after the first four or five issues, I had this this kind of this brainstorm about I had I sort of had big big plan A, and then big plan A became just the start of the real big plan on the book, uh, which is kind of a nice the nice thing about writing these books is as you get to know the characters, sort of ideas occur to you that wouldn't have occurred otherwise. Sure. Um, and so that was that was what I, I laid out to uh, to Mark and to Axel and, and it was like wow this could be really something special and so um, you know who knows I have to I have to write it still so it might not be as, it might not be this this in my head it's the best Daredevil story of all time but we'll we'll see what happens when I actually put pen to paper but well, uh, I, I think your characters your instincts about the character are, are right on and again it's because same thing can be said about Batman. I mean, you could really sometimes some of these characters. It's like what's and especially after an average run, it, it's like well, you know, what else is there to say about Daredevil? I mean, you know, you can you can kind of peel the onion and say, well, you know, Bendis was kind of doing, you know, and he admits it himself. I missed Frank Miller's Daredevil, and that influenced what I did with the character. And and then Brubaker comes, and it's like, yeah, but let's take this short, you know, left turn. And then you know, you get the extreme one eighty of Wade going. Hey, you know, Daredevil hasn't been fun forever, and it can be fun and interesting. And also, he's still nuts, and so <laughs> so you get so you get Wade's run, and then again, you found a different wrinkle of Daredevil crazy, and I think that's fantastic, or at least Daredevil uh, driven or or obsessed. Or, I'd obsessed, say obsessed. Yeah, obsessed, and also not recognizing some of the traits within himself 
which again, it's the characters are their most interesting when you crack the code of what makes them their their weakest. Yeah, you know, what yeah, I, mean? I think that's exactly right. Yeah, you know? no, no, every character is only as strong as their their, their greatest weakness. Which right. Is... I mean, you know, we're seeing that with Jason's doing it right now with Thor. You know, I mean, yep. the, as I always like to say, because I feel like a nerd, the Odin son. I mean, it's, yep. <laughs> but it's true. It's like, what what does it mean to be Thor when he's not Thor anymore? What, what's left? Yep. Who is he? Yep. So yep. no, great, good job, man. Very, very cool, and uh, I'm I am I am willing to to be on the ride. So uh, if yeah, for what, <laughs> awesome. for, oh yeah, really, thanks, John. Gee. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. I know what you mean. And I Daredevil's a character who's very he's very polarizing. People are like, you know, if you're not doing what what you should be doing, you you just you're everybody thinks you're a jerk and you're an idiot and you've ruined the best character around. So so I totally understand the tentative. You know, I'll try it out. I'll be on the ride for a while, but if you screw it up, Charles, you're I'm done. So <laughs> it's true. Well, you drop you, again. You drop the book when, and it really sometimes, man, it's great art, great writers who, for whatever reason, their interpretation of the character just doesn't work for the general audience. I'm, and I'm assuming that has happened because we've seen the book change hands. You know, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the guy is just purely all right. That's all I got to say about it. It's time to change. And then there's other times where it's like, okay, wow, this guy's on. Oh, well, I don't like that. What the hell is that? That's not Daredevil. <laughs> yeah. Or at least it's not the Daredevil I want to read. But no, nice going, man. That's that's excellent. All right, well, now, am I right? Is, is Poe Dameron the only thing we got left to, to chat about? Yeah, I think that's the only the only, uh, the only mainstream <laughs> thing that we haven't talked about, which is crazy. So, yeah, um, tell, tell me about that, man. I mean, really, here's a character that nobody knew about until literally a year ago and um, immediately becomes this like for his brief scenes in the Force Awakens, I don't even know. Have you even counted how much screen time he has in Episode Seven? It's it's almost none. Um, I mean, he's it's I would say it's less than fifteen minutes probably. Uh, but it's you know he was he he made a hell of an impression as Oscar Isaac tends to do. Like he's a he's a really good actor. Yeah. Who yeah. who who really finds the characters that he's asked to play and, and makes them indelible and and sort of unforgettable. And Poe Dameron was was absolutely that. So. Uh, you know, it was, it's been an amazing ride on that book. I, you know, I, it's my third Star Wars project. I did the Lando book first, and then I did a, an yes. Obi-Wan and Anakin book. Yes, um, very cool, all, Go on. Yeah, which were fun, but the, but then Poe Dameron's been its own, I mean, it's an ongoing series, which is different. The first two were miniseries, so this is an ongoing. Right. Um, and it's the only one set in, in this new continuity of Episode 7. So... There's there's a lot of challenges to it because there's a lot of areas that I can't really touch as a storyteller because I don't know where they're where the story is going to go in episodes eight and nine. Sure. Um, and but but Lucasfilm is great about guiding me without spoiling stuff because that, like I'm I'm sort of there's things they can't tell me either like they know things that they, that I can't know at this of point. Of course. So yeah. so it's like I'll pitch an idea and they'll be like, well maybe stay away from that and so I'll stay away from it and I'll I'll find another way. So it's been. It's one of those, you know, like the, the great story about Jaws, making of Jaws, Steven Spielberg, uh, was that the shark didn't work very well. They had this mechanical <laughs> shark and yep. just kept breaking. And so they had to shoot around it. They had to find ways to tell the story without showing the shark very much. And and I think writing Poe Dameron in some ways is like that, because there's there's a bunch of things that I, I can't really do. And so I write around them and I find ways to tell the story that that still work. And it's been it's been fun for me as a writer to figure that out. It's like a nice puzzle. Um, but it also lets me dive into interesting things that I might not have done otherwise. Like the, you know, like the villain character in the book is this guy, Terex, who's entirely new. I made him up and I can do a lot with his backstory and things like that because he's not a character from the films. So I can kind of do whatever I want with him. So it's been, 
It's been interesting, and, and mostly it's, I'm just glad people like it because I think Poe Dameron's voice in Force Awakens was so specific and so charming and so uh, yeah. winning that, that getting that right was really – that if I got that right, then the book would, would work. And it seems like you know I, I'm, I'm going to write issue 12 this weekend, so um, you know apparently it's, it's working out pretty well. You know, it's funny. Literally 10 years ago, I had this conversation with Walt Simonson going back to his run on Star Wars, and he faced the same problems because clearly, you know, things were in play for Empire Strikes Back during his run that, you know, he, he had no idea. And, you know, suddenly it was like, oh, by the way, you know, Luke and, Luke and Darth can't meet. And he literally mm-hmm. even, like found himself at the end of an issue where they were about to face each other. And it's like, all right, great, he's a hologram. And it's like, fine, okay, great, <laughs> you solved it, nice going. So, yeah. no, I can, I can appreciate that. I wonder, too, have you had the opportunity, because certainly Dark Horse had the license for so long, and a lot of times they got to go further into the future, further into the past with a lot of their runs, but have you had a chance to talk to anybody to compare you know, how, how it goes to work with Lucas and everything in terms of what you can and can't do? Uh, you mean from from people who wrote for Dark Horse and, and yeah. like in that in those days yeah. a little bit a little bit um, I you know I, I I know some people who work uh, who worked you know some other writers who worked during those days and um, it sounds like it was fairly similar it, it, some of it was like they just weren't playing in some of the same timelines right but whenever whenever they were working in within a book that was going to hit say. You know the prequel timelines when the Clone Wars shows is being produced. They had to be very careful about it, and and sure. and it's always just. And I know that Yoda's always been something that they've been very cautious about because Yoda is is George Lucas's baby in a in a real way, and so whenever you write scenes with Yoda, you have to be extreme. They're they're vetted to a, a really really heavy degree. Interesting. Uh, and you know I'll tell you, writing Yoda's dialogue, you'd think it's kind of easy. Like you know, you kind of know what Yoda sounds like. It is not that easy to write it and make it sound right so uh yeah but you you know but you get corrections from from them uh i am very proud to say that i did not get corrections i wrote it about seven times and they did not uh they that scene anyway they didn't have any issues with but uh um but certainly other stuff like yeah they'll you turn in the script and they'll be like well you know at at this time on the timeline they weren't flying this type of x-wing it was this type or you know just great but i consider that stuff great because you know, I'm a, I'm a very well versed Star Wars fan. Like I know a lot about it, but I'm not one of the. They, there's like the holocron, the the Jedi holocron, which is this huge database they have at Lucasfilm that kind of has every information about every character. And, yes. and I, you know, I don't have that. So, um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they'll, they'll, I, I'm happy to have them. They're awesome. The Lucasfilm story group, generally speaking, is is amazing, and they they've been very very helpful. So. I uh, I love working with them. I love working on Star Wars projects, and I hope I get to do many more in the future. Tell me about uh, using Yoda then. So contextually, are, are these flashback scenes obviously that mm. you know? Yeah, this the, the the one time I used him was at the end of the Obi Wan and Anakin series. There's a oh okay sure. I yeah, thought about there's the a post series, but go ahead. No, no, no. It's it's it was an Obi Wan and Anakin. There's a bit where uh, it's and that's set during the prequels. So right. Yoda's around the Jedi temples, around all that. Sure, and, sure. And um. And so basically Obi-Wan just goes to the Jedi Temple and he has a conversation like he's he has misgivings about Anakin and what's going to happen. And and Yoda gives him some sage Yoda advice and Obi-Wan's like, right on, I'm going to go do it. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's the most cliched, typical Yoda scene ever, but it was still really cool to write it. That's uh, cool. Do you get to write yeah. this window? 
Uh, I have written a tiny bit of Mace Windu. I've written a bunch of uh, Palpatine, which has been fantastic. Nice. Lovely. Um, yeah, the uh, the only the only real big characters I haven't written are Han, Chewbacca, and Luke. I've written. Okay. I think I've written pretty much everybody else. So um, you know, and who knows? Maybe you know. Maybe I get to write them at some point in the future. But uh, I'm I'm still even even getting to say the characters I have written is pretty pretty amazing. So absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I, I get asked, I do, every once in a while I'll do like a Twitter Q&A or something, and one of the questions that inevitably comes up is what character would you like to write? And it's, I always find it very hard to answer because I've been so lucky that I've gotten to write pretty much every every possible character you could ever want um, as, a, as a superhero or, or a big pop culture comics writer. So it's, I've been very lucky, no doubt about it. Well, catch us up on what's going on with Poe then. Sure. So, so Poe, uh, the series is set just before Force Awakens. So, we're we're building up to that scene that opened the movie with mm-hmm. Poe on on the planet Jakku, meeting Lor Santeca, that that old Force explorer guy, yes. and getting that Max von Sydow. Yeah, of course, and getting that data chip that had the uh, the location or half of the location of Luke Skywalker. Sure. So, so the idea is that. Uh, at this time, the the First Order has not yet kind of openly declared hostilities against the galaxy, and and so the Resistance has to kind of fight them on the. It's very it's like a cold war almost. They can they can do these um, like sort of covert operations and and Mission Impossible type spy things, but they can't actually go try and blow up a base or a spaceship. So so Poe has his own squadron, Black Squadron, um, which is composed of him and four other pilots who are all very skilled, and they go and have these super cool kick-ass adventures across the galaxy. And the main thrust of it has been that uh, Leia, you know, General or General Leia, General Leia Organa, knows that her best chance of finding her brother, finding Luke, is if they can find Lor Santeca and get some information from him. Okay. And so so she kind of knows vaguely, wavy, where Lor Santeca, like, was once. So the idea is go to that place, see if you can kind of trace him through the galaxy and find him, catch up with him and ask him where Luke might be. And so that's the the main kind of MacGuffin storyline that oh, runs as the spine of the book yeah. is trying to find Lor Santeca, but but it's ultimately just kick-ass, um, you know, X-Wing battles and sure. First Order kind of uh, skullduggery and, and lots of neat, like, uh, you know, BB-8s all over it, who's super fun to write. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been very very fun. I've you know there's a big C3PO three parter that's going on now where it turns out that C3PO is sort of like the spy master for the uh, for the for the resistance because he uses droids all over the galaxy because nobody pays attention to droids, right? So he's got droid spies all over the galaxy and he's kind of collecting all their information uh, and and collating it for the for the resistance. So oh, there's a big cool. story arc now. Yeah, it's a fun like uh, you know it's it's a role for him that is. Apparently that was that's supposed to sort of be canon, but and it was even sort of hinted at in the First Awakens, but not in a big way. So I get to hit it a little harder, which is fun. And just I don't know, it's it's these are of all the toys in the toy box, these are these are pretty great toys to play with for sure. Hell yeah, man! No, that sounds terrific. That's that's really great because yeah, again, I mean you're you're kind of strapped down in terms of you got to you got to work in this little area before the before seven. So mm-hmm. so how do you how do you make it interesting? It's again, and it's what we what we always have to remind people: it's not the destination, it's the journey. And yes, that, and obviously that's what you get to explore is reaching that Max von Sydow point in the at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Uh, so that and and have all these complications along the way. So that's yep. cool. Will Will the book as your? I mean, are you on it for the foreseeable future? Or are you? Uh, is, yeah. Is, is okay. Yep. 
is it, will there will there come a time that uh, you know uh, when when episode eight comes out that you'll be able to you know kind of fill in the gap between Force Awakens and, and episode eight? Uh, well, that's that's a ways in the future yet, sure so we'll is. see. Okay. But but right now, I mean, I have a I have a, a the big overarching story which fills in. Um, you know, all those gaps leading up to episode seven, like they're all, you're going to kind of know what Poe was up to all that time. And, and it's very cool to be able to, to tell that story. Um, because it's, you know, I, like I, it's great, you know, working with Phil Noto, who's incredible is the artist on the book. Oh yeah. No, I um, love Phil. Those, yeah. Phil, Phil is great, man. Honestly, there's a guy that, what a great distinct style that, uh, that really fits pretty much every, every sort of book and every sort of genre. Yeah, no, he's amazing. Amazing. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're on it for a while. There's a lot of cool stuff coming. Um, as far as whether we go, we go past episode seven, yeah, I guess you'll just kind of have to wait and see. And I know that's sort of, uh, you know, marketing speak and all that, but, uh, <laughs> but the, the, it's, it's good stuff. There's good stuff coming up for sure. That's excellent, man. Very, very cool. Look at you, Charles. I'm very happy <laughs> for you. No, seriously, man. That's great. And also I noticed too, that, uh, Am I right? Strange Attractions is being re-released, or did they? Finish yeah, the it was. It was. It was re-released as singles this summer, um, and then uh, it's coming out as a trade. I think in next June or July. So okay. yeah, that was that was awesome. The they they basically came to me and said, "Look, you know, because so Strange Attractions originally came out as a book from a hardcover graphic novel from Archaea back in 2012." Yep, and. I was very, very proud of it, but the truth is, like, you know, a handful of people knew who I was at that point. I sure. hadn't started doing any big two work. Um, you know, I, I just, my name was not what it is now. And so, Boom, Boom Studios bought Arkea yep. in, I don't know, a couple years ago, three or four years ago. And, and they, I guess, were looking through their library, and they came to me and they said, look, Charles, you know, we think that if we put this out now, we could do very well with it because people, you know, people are going to see it as maybe a new project from you or, or whatever. Right. Or, or exactly. No, go on. It's just you have a, you have another level of audience. Yes, is, is kind of how they put it. Which sure. I, I, you know, and and from where I'm sitting as a as a writer with a book that came out some years ago that I'm still very proud of. Greg Scott uh, and Art Lyon were the artists on it. They did amazing work. Robert Sawitz, um, just a great team. Like it's a great book. And the idea that I could get it out in front of a new set of eyeballs, it was kind of a no-brainer for me. So um, so we put it out this summer. I wrote a new backup story for it, which is basically an, another, like a sixth. So the, the, the main story is basically five issues. And then when you add up all of the, uh, the backups that I wrote for it, it's kind of like a sixth issue. Okay. That works almost as a coda or a or sort of a second look at the material in the original story. And uh, that was drawn by the uh, Sue Lee, who was very cool. She's another New York artist. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was great. And and the idea that we could we could get it out there again and let new people look at it was very, I just, you know, like I said, it was a no-brainer. Like, the, I think as, as a writer, the, your back catalog, the idea that work start to disappear is very, it's strange. You know, you think that these things are going to last forever, but at a certain point, the publishers are like, well, you know, we've made the money we're going to make, so we're not going to keep reprinting it. Um, but, you know, Strange Attractors, fortunately, they uh, they, they they put out again. So it's it's cool. I mean, if, if people haven't checked it out, um, it's on Comixology. It's also, again, the trade will be coming out in July, so that's that's a good one for sure. You know, I've, I've always been an Archaea fan, and Steve Christie ran a great company, and I'm really glad that Boom bought them and it gave them the opportunity to re-release some really interesting projects the joiners uh in yeah. 3d was another yeah. and now and now in 2d uh with rj ryan and uh dave marquez and, and no that's the great thing and honestly 
you know, the same thing happened to Bendis, the same thing happened to Remender, Rucka, Brubaker. When you guys kind of hit, now all of a sudden, you know, it's a chance to really do look back at some of your earlier works and, and, and again, like you said, attract uh, the current audience that you've, you've gathered with your mainstream stuff. And it's like, oh, no, you like Charles Soule? Well, you know, check out Stranger Tractors and everything. I think that's, that's fantastic. And, yeah, I was really happy to see it back in print this summer. And like I said, I just wasn't sure if it, if it had finished its run or not. So again, from yeah, Boom and Archaea, uh, Strange Attractors, and uh, like like Charles said, he told you how to find it. And the cool thing is, new trade coming in July. Very very good, excellent, man. Look at you. Well, th- yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Like I still can't I still can't believe the you know I I said before in this call like that five thousand pages thing. Like it, yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of work. Um, and and I look back in it, and I I just I know that I wrote. I look at like I'm in the room, I'm in my office right now. I'm looking at my shelf of my work, um, and there was a point where I wanted to have like a, a you know like a small shelf, like a little bit of my of my stuff. And now I'm looking at like foreign editions. I'm looking at stuff in French and Spanish. I'm looking at all these these collections, and it's a uh, it's really it's really something. I feel very lucky. Um, you know, I don't. I feel very fortunate that people like my work to the degree that they seem to like it. Um, you know, I'm, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. I'm very, uh, it's a good deal. Well-deserved, man. No, you're, you're putting out great work and I'm glad that the audience is responding the way that it is. What, uh, do you have, uh, your convention plans for either late this year or, or early part of next year kind of laid out? Yeah. You know, that is actually an interesting question because I, I tend to overschedule myself to a really significant degree. Like I, I've done, you know, certainly double digits worth of shows in 2016. Um, and, really? and some of those have been, yeah. And some of those have been like, I just got back from China. I was in, uh, New Zealand in April. I was in France in January. And so they're not even all like domestic shows. Like I go internationally and, uh, I, I'm, I love doing it and I'm sure that I will do shows in 2017, but it, I just, at this point, like I've got, uh, like a, my, a guy who handles my show bookings and he's like, man, we really got to start it. I got to get started on 2017. Um, but at this point I'm sort of, I, I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, there will be a, there will be a day probably after Thanksgiving when all that's done, when I'm just like, all right, I got to I got to step into this and get it, get it sorted out. But, um, but right now the only show that the only shows that I've booked for 2017 are, um, I'm doing this this fantasy cruise in uh, in January, which is uh, it's a cruise. It goes from Tampa to um, Cozumel to Key West and back to Tampa. Wow! And it's yeah, it's it sounds kind of amazing. Uh, it's me and uh, Scott Snyder, who's a close close friend. So that'll be great. Mark Wade is going. Uh, Frank Miller, um, Jerry Duggan, Riley Brown, um, Gail Simone. And I'm spacing people already. Like, but there's there's a lot of there's a lot of really significant comics people going on this cruise, as well as a bunch of pop culture guests, like the kids from Stranger Things are going to go, and and Hilarious. Walking Dead people, and so on. Yeah. So we're going to be on this cruise ship for four days, uh, with I guess two thousand fans, uh, and it's going to be interesting because I, you know, it's like a convention for four days, and I, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be kind of wild. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm so I'm doing. I've seen that advertised, yeah, on Facebook and everything, and on Twitter. Go on, yeah, please. Yeah, so so I'm doing that, and then I have uh, I booked Emerald City, so oh, very uh, in good. Seattle. Yeah, so right now, right now that's it. But I I know that um, Ryan uh, Ryan Brown and I have talked a lot about uh, doing kind of a promotional tour for uh, for for 
curse words like going to some shows in the spring uh, when the book launches in January. But the other thing we're talking about doing, which I think is going to be a blast, is so the book's about wizards, right? Yes. And and the thing that we're thinking we're going to do when when the hardcover hits in July, uh, trade and hardcover is is do uh, a store tour, and we're gonna we're gonna buy a van, and we're gonna paint it like airbrush it like 1970s kind of airbrush with wizard and stuff on it sure um and then we're going to drive around the country in that van together for whatever two or three weeks whatever it takes to get to all the stores and do signings and do a little tour Hilarious. uh yeah i don't know i mean the the my concern is that after spending three weeks in a van with ryan uh no matter how much we lick each other now yeah. it might all fall apart that exactly. might be the end of we're the through. end of the book <laughs> yes exactly but uh but it sounds really fun. Like, I mean, I you know, doesn't it sound like a good time? Like going around, driving around in a van with, well, your, with can, one of your closest only, friends. And I can only yeah. speak from the forty minutes that Ryan and I spent from the airport to the uh, to our respective apartments in Chicago. But it was a very pleasant forty minutes. So, <laughs> okay. So, so if that's any help. I, I All right. Well, multiply that by a thousand hours, and <laughs> and we'll see. But. Um, yeah, oh, we were, we were hanging. Guy. You guys are good guys. I think you could handle it. I think it's yeah, going to be great. I hope so. We were, we were at New York Comic Con. We were hanging out because we did a we did a wizard party there um, at the Image Party. We had whatever, like my band played and stuff. We did all this wizard stuff just to kind of get the word out early. But we were driving around the city trying to like to park in New York, which is always impossible. Jesus Christ, yeah. And and um, we're talking about like what is what are we going to do on this ride? Like, are we going to get like, what kind of music do you like? And sort of the most basic questions to make sure that we're not completely incompatible for a three-week road trip. Um, but as far as we could tell, all signals were go, uh, and we're going to start um, – actually, I think we're going to start getting in touch with shops uh, next month to sort of say, you know, uh, to sort of line up the tour and see where yeah. we're going and, yeah, and see who wants us in. So it, it's – I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be great. Uh, I think the book is going to be a blast. Um and and I really like I said at the very start of this conversation, I'm just so excited to have a new creator and project out and, and be saying new things uh, with with my voice and Ryan's voice that uh, that are just completely ours. And it's it's just a great time. Excellent, man. No, no, that sounds great. And uh, like I said, when uh, when you're ready to promote the novel, please come back. And and really, you know, yeah, if you got, you know, a new uh, something new, uh, because uh, really the laundry list that we went through tonight, I think, shows uh, the strength of your storytelling and uh, all all of my reactions are genuine because they they sound great. Again, you know things that I don't normally read. I really like what what I'm hearing about uh, the Inhumans and Podameron and some of these other things. So uh, and like I said, you you already had me at, with Daredevil. So uh, keep up the good work, man. Nice going and uh, really looking forward to what uh, is to come in uh, 2017 from Charles Soule. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, John. And I hopefully I'll talk to you again soon. Lots of fun talking to Charles Soule, and I do promise that uh, he will be back in 2017. Really excited for Curse Words coming up from uh, Ryan Brown. Boy, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? But it's true. And uh, everything else he's doing, it sounds like a lot of fun. And uh, looking forward to that uh, novel when it comes out, too. Charles Soule on today's Word Balloon. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it was brought to you by Geek Fuel. And once again, uh, Geek Fuel is a great subscription box service that ships out a mystery box every month that has at least $50 worth of value from uh, five to seven Greek geek culture items. 
Uh, uh, the box is usually around $15 plus shipping and handling, but there are different ways to get Geek Fuel if you just want to get a one-time box or if you want to get a year's subscription, it can be as under $14. For all the details, uh, you can start your subscription, and uh, if you go through geekfuel.com slash wordballoon, you'll also receive a free bonus item worth an additional $10 in your first box. That's geekfuel.com slash wordballoon. W-O-R-D-B-A-L-L-O-O-N. Thanks again for listening to today's Word Balloon. Questions or comments about the show, you can reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. And uh, until uh, the next show, we've got great stuff coming up for the rest of November. This is uh, the holiday week. Uh, It's Thanksgiving, and as I always say around Thanksgiving, it's uh, my favorite holiday because it had a horrible beginning, but it has evolved into, I think, such a great uh, non-religious holiday that everyone can enjoy and appreciate, and you're with your family and your friends, and it's a chance to truly thank them for being part of your life. And as always... I try to do the same thing and say thank you for making Word Balloon part of your life. Thank you very much for your attention and time, and I hope you enjoy these conversations. I'm going to keep on doing them. It's been a great 11 years, and the role continues. Join me on this journey. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2016. Happy Thanksgiving.